Well, good morning. It is good to gather uh, here. I just want to welcome you again like, like Aaron did. If you're new with us, um, you've come on a, on a great Sunday. Uh, this is a little bit different for us. Uh, we, have, we have a guest speaker today, uh, Dr. Kevin Hawkins, and I'll introduce him in just a second. Uh, but in, in the life of our church, in eight years that the Parks Church has been in existence, we've had exactly three uh, we think, guest speakers, all right? And, and not any more of that for sure, but we, we kind of debated on one if they were a guest or not. But we've had three guest speakers, so we're honored to, to have him here uh, with us today. And his beautiful wife, Erica, is with him here on, on the front row. And it's going to be a true a treat and, and, and just a joy to have them here in a second. And, and we're pausing from the book of Acts just for this one week. And we want to get in a, a rhythm once a semester of, of, of doing one of these talks on what we call kind of a, a cultural forum. And hear from the Word of God around something that is relevant and happening in, in culture. And today it's going to be on the topic of, of, of race and gospel reconciliation. And, and, and if you've been alive for any amount of time, you know that we are living in a very divisive culture. Amen? And oftentimes culture hands us the, the, the narrative, right? And, and, and on both sides, on all sides, it hands us a narrative. Listen, as the church, and what I mean by the church is, is the people of God, there is a biblical narrative we're to live by. There is a kingdom that we're a part of that hands us and gives us ethics, and we are to orient our, our lives around them. And oftentimes, and, and most oftentimes, they fly in the face of, of the cultural narrative. And if, if nothing else, they clarify the cultural narrative. And so we want to not shy away from those, but we as the church, we want to step into those narratives and those dialogues. Because of one of the things I think in culture is we have, we've lost the art of, of conversation. Sitting down with people and having conversation eye to eye and and, and really understanding and really hearing what's going on in that other person's life from their point of view, from their perspective. And the boldness of Dr. Hawkins to come up here and, and share and to preach the word of God and to share his experiences and, and, and his, his take on what's going on and how we truly see gospel reconciliation in our culture. Because that's what we long for. Amen. We know that the hope of the world is, is not a cultural narrative. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, as the people of God, listen, if there's any place that the conversation should be had, it's in the church, right? We should be leading, right? We should be leading the, leading the way in the conversation, not, not receiving it, right? We should be the ones disseminating. We should be the ones having the conversation out front. And, and so that's what's taking place here today. And so he's going to preach from the Word of God, and then we're going to uh, have a little dialogue back and forth, a little Q&A. And uh, we met as, as they invited me down to, uh, to Southern uh, Southern Bible College and, and Institute, where he serves as the, uh, the vice president of student affairs there. He's also the senior pastor of Bible Way Bible Church in Oak Cliff. So pulling double duty or triple duty, probably quadruple, probably go on with the duties, right? Um, where he does a phenomenal job, and he pulled off one of the most impossible things in church ministry. It was actually a church merger from a church in Lancaster to, to Oak Cliff, and, and maybe he'll share a little bit about that. But, but he is a, a man who loves the scriptures. He is a man of God and proclaiming the gospel. And so uh, I, I ask that you hear, you listen with Holy Spirit ears and, and, and with your heart open to, to hear this man and hear from the word of God, hear his experiences he shares boldly and courageously with us in this place. And a lot of the questions and the dialogue we'll have afterward is, is what they invited me into a couple months back at, at Southern Bible and asking me questions and having you know, a, a dialogue around um, really the, 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 the topic then was united by faith. And so we'll, we're going to continue that conversation here. So would you welcome uh, Dr. Kevin Hawkins here uh, to preach and deliver the Word of God?
Think I turned it on? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thank you all for having me. And again, to uh, Pastor Kyle and to the entire elder team and uh, to the Parks Church, I uh, humbly and excitedly embrace this opportunity, and I do, don't take moments like these for granted. Um, <clears throat> I want to acknowledge my wife, uh, Erica, down here in the yellow. And uh, I had some family members that came up from uh, uh, our side of town and surprised me. I got a, a son here somewhere. Oh, there he is. I got uh, a sister. Is the, uh, both sisters here? Both si yeah, there they go. And, <laughs> and uh, a brother and wife, and he has two of his kids with him, too. So I uh, thank them for being here. And uh, uh, it was, it was, I was really glad that they came. Um, and let me just get this one real, really quick, because uh, this is kind of important to me. But can I get y'all to say amen just one time? Amen. All right. All right. Um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture. Well, not even an entire passage, just one verse. Uh, Matthew 23 and 23. Uh, and the earlier session I gave quite a few examples, but I, I, I want to do a little bit more exegesis on this verse, and then I'll give you some examples uh, some illustrations to go along with it. Uh, but Matthew 23 and 23 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Father God, we come before you right now praying that uh, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable on your sight. Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Father, I come before you just praying that this will be the spiritual food that it is intended to be. It is in the strong and mighty name of Jesus that I pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. And I want to make sure that you know, part of this time we have some adequate time for questions uh, or a dialogue uh, between Pastor Kyle and I. Uh, but in Matthew 23, well, let me... Justice is coming is the title of this. And, you know, if you are a guy like me who uh, grew up and uh, every Saturday and Sunday, I'm 48, and every Saturday and Sunday when I grew up, there was Westerns on television. Uh, Bonanza, Big Valley. Uh, uh, there was one called Alias Smith and Jones. Uh, there was the Lone Ranger and the Rifleman, and, and a couple of those I was really fond of. The Rifleman, I'll still watch that to, to this day. Uh, Big Valley from time to time, Bonanza. Um, but my favorite Western of all time is Tombstone. Yeah, amen. Amen. <laughs> it's Tombstone. That is like the, the best Western uh, that that I've ever seen. And in Tombstone, there was this scene where after Morgan had gotten killed and Virgil had gotten shot, his arm is now uh, limp, and they are on the train about to take off out of town, and uh, Ike Clanton and uh, George Stilwell comes up, and Ike says, hey, Maddie, where's Morgan? Uh, where's Wyatt? And, and he says, right behind you, Stilwell, and he unloads his 12-gauge shotgun. In true, true life, what I uh, recall is he unloaded it several times. But on the movie, he just unloaded it on him. Ike Clanton falls to the ground because he's the scary guy. And 
Wyatt comes to him. He takes the heel of his boot and he cuts his face. And he tells him, he says, listen, you see this? He points to his sheriff's badge and he says, you tell the cowboys that if I see a man wearing a sash, I'm killing him. I'm not taking him to trial. I'm not handcuffing him. I'm killing him. He says, you tell him that the law is coming. You tell him uh, that hell's coming with, and hell's coming with me. You hear hell is coming with me. He was saying that I'm going to dispense my own form of justice. Again, I'm not taking him to the law. I'm not taking him to jail. I'm killing him right there on the spot. And then it immediately goes to the next scene, and he's just riding through town, just killing up everybody wearing a red sash, bringing his form of justice because they had done harm to him by killing his brother and by shooting his other brother. He was bringing his own form of justice. Today in our culture in Matthew 23, one of the things we find is that oftentimes churches major in minors of the word of God and minors in the majors. This is the notion that the Pharisees in this context of Matthew 23 and 23 had majored in the minor and had minored in the majors. Uh, we see here in the text that Jesus tells them that they tithe uh, the dill, the cumin, the mint. And tithing, as you know, was an Old Testament custom. You can find an example of it in Genesis chapter 14. And the law laid it down that a tenth should be given to the Lord. We see this over in Leviticus chapter 27, 30 through 33, Numbers chapter 18. But we see that uh, a tenth of their income or of their earnings was to be given to the Lord, uh, which uh, would, you know, come around, you know, a portion of their income. Now, there are some other uh, passages of Scripture we can show where it's probably a little bit more when it comes to a tithing. But tithes were to be paid to the Levites, who in turn paid to the priests a tithe of the tithes uh, that they received. And then the Pharisees... Uh, uh, obviously took this practice to be very serious and carried it through to the minute details. They paid to the Lord a tenth of even small garden plants like mint and dill and cumin. This uh, indicates a determination to fulfill the tithe regulation with the minutest of accuracy. Not uh, the smallest plant in this context was overlooked. Everything that belonged to the Lord was scrupulously uh, to be paid to him. Everything that they worked, every piece of the ground they tilled, meant that everything that came out of it, as the ground yielded its produce, they took a tenth and gave it to the Lord. But interestingly enough, Jesus, he talks to them about this, and he's uh, not actually chastising them for this practice. He's acknowledging that, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. This is fine that you did this. But the trouble was that their concern was only in the small matters. Their concern, the text says, was not in the weightier things of the law. The weightier provisions, Jesus says, was justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, you should have taken care of these things. Yes, continue to give your tithe, continue to give your, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but don't neglect what is more heavy. Don't neglect what is more important. That is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. 
One of the things we see when we deal with this idea of justice, justice strikes at the heart of the Imago Dei. Justice strikes at the heart of the Imago Dei, which means the image of God. Man was made in God's image. And in the image of God, he created him male and female. The context uh, the text says over in Genesis chapter 1. He, God says in verse 26, let us create man, not just some man, not just white men, not just black men or Hispanics or whoever you want to talk about, whatever ethnic group you want to talk about, not just some ethnic groups were created in the image of God. All ethnic groups, all of humanity was created in God's image. Everything about me and everything about you is really, in essence, made up of the same DNA image of God. God, and by the way, one of the things that God wants us to do is replicate that image. That image is supposed to go forth. That's why it is important uh, to understand why I do not believe in abortion. Why? Because it snuffs out the image of God. But I also recognize that anytime we have an unwarranted killing, not just in the womb, but also outside of the womb, it is also very important to know that when that image has been snuffed out, the image of God is at stake. And so we see, in the, we see in the context of our world today and the culture of the world today that there have been uh, moments when uh, the image of God outside of the womb was not taken as important or as serious as the, as the image of God inside of the womb. With over the last couple of years, we've had uh, police shootings that have transpired which we have seen right before our very eyes. Now, let me tell you, I am pro-police. I believe that God has put police and the government uh, as well uh, within uh, our communities to protect and serve. So I want to commend those who do that. And uh, let me also say this. I am a child of a military guy. My dad served in the military, fought in the Vietnam War. Uh, I have a cousin who is a sheriff. Her husband is a sheriff. He's one of my best friends. I have a, right now a nephew who's serving in the military right now in the Navy. Someone that, you know, I helped to raise or spent a lot of time influencing his life. And so he is very important to me. And his service, I appreciate his service so much. But one of the things we have to understand is that because one wears the uniform does not exempt him from the depravity of, and the fallenness of humanity. When I saw Terrence Crutcher uh, have his hands up on the roof of his car and a lady cop is standing 20 feet away and she shoots him and kills him and says she feared for her life and is not held accountable for that, that is a problem. Why? Because the humanity, the image of God has just been snuffed out and no one was held accountable for that. If we want to hold people accountable for abortion, and for life inside the womb, we also have to hold people accountable for murder outside of the womb as well. What just took place this past weekend, or uh, the weekend before last now, uh, with Tatiana Jefferson over in Fort Worth, guess what? Her life matters. And that man, he does not represent, uh, the, 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 he does not uh, represent, you know, or, or does not stand or suggest that all cops are, are like him. As a matter of fact, he did not follow the training that the police officers actually gave him to follow. But he deserves to be held accountable. 
Why? Because he took the image of God away from us. In 1787, America uh, uh, codified what was called the Three-Fifths Compromise. And that they said that African Americans are three-fifths human. Prior to that, we, weren't, we were looked at as you know, property only. But now they're saying that we are three-fifths human. And what that means is they're saying that, yeah, we are human. We're just not as much human as, uh, as uh, uh, our white counterpart. And in the context of Scripture, we look, Jesus is saying that that is a problem. Why? Because anytime you deny justice to someone, you deny their image. You deny the image that they're made in. And so one of the things we see is that in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, that the crown jewel of God's creation is mankind, and mankind demonstrates the pinnacle of God's creative work till human life alone was created in God's image. So anytime we see that image snuffed out improperly, then we should, as a church, all care and concern ourselves with that practice or that miscarriage of justice. Micah X, a few years ago, there is this, there is this uh, 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 protest downtown Dallas, and he comes and he shoots about five police officers. Your heart should have grieved. As a matter of fact, he says that he's targeting white police officers. Again, your heart should grieve. But your heart should also grieve for Tamir Rice. Your heart should also grieve for Terrence Crutcher. Your heart should also grieve for Eric Gardner, for Sandra Glenn, for, uh, for Terrence Crawford, for other guys like that. There are a, a list of names that I could give you. But the reality of it is that oftentimes when we have these discussions, we'll fall back into our political, uh, political comfortabilities of conservatism versus liberalism. And I got news for you. The Bible and Christianity is neither liberal nor conservative. It is the truth. And we have to measure everything that we stand and we do and everything we stand for against the truth of God's word. And if there is something about my culture that, that is going against the grain of God's word, guess what? I am required as a believer to lay my culture down and pick up the culture of Christ. That is for all of us. I look and I appreciate where God has me, but America is not without its flaws. And as believers, we have to acknowledge those things. Here are some stats. Blacks are, depending on some of the studies, anywhere from three to five times as likely to be killed by a cop than our white counterpart. There's an article that talks about no matter what time of the year, or no, no matter what time, rather, whether it was in the 60s, in the height of Jim Crow, or even today when people were kneeling at the flag uh, for the NFL, whites have not appreciated that uh, the way blacks have. I'll read that in a second. But here's one of the things I want to point out to you, is that as believers, Jesus is telling us in the text that we cannot major in the minors and minor in the majors. 
What he is dealing with is this attitude that the Pharisees had that all they have to do is write a check and their job is done for the day. We got a lot of people in the church that do that today. They believe that I can come to church every single Sunday. I don't really have to commit to service. I don't have to commit to discipleship. I really don't have to commit to a a worldview that runs counter to my conservative or my liberal narrative. As long as I do the right Christian thing, I go to church, show up on a Sunday, and I give my tithe, I've done my due diligence as a Christian. I've checked that box for the week. Well, the reality of it is we do not solve the things we do by just writing a check only. Christ doesn't want you to just cash a check. He doesn't want you to just write a check. What he wants you to do is commit to the weightier things of the law, which he says is justice and mercy. A Christian has to be concerned with justice, has to be concerned with mercy and faithfulness. This text or this article reads this way. Listen to this for a second. In a poll, whites were asked whether the NFL players kneeling in protest during the national anthem are helping or hurting the cause of racial justice. No fewer than 85% said they are hurting it. Clearly, this offense to the anthem and the American flag is the worst possible way to change minds. Blacks need to find a less divisive means to register their discontent. Oh, wait, the author says, I've got that wrong. Those figures don't come from a new poll. They come from a survey taken in 1966, asking whites whether the demonstration by Negroes on the civil rights have helped more or hurt more in the advancement of Negro rights. Only 15% of whites surveyed thought that those peaceful protests would advance the cause of integration and equality. Martin Luther King Jr. and his nonviolent methods are honored even by conservatives today, but in 1967, half of whites said he was harming blacks, with only 36% disagreeing. In many respects, the country has changed a lot since then, partly because of those unpopular demonstrations. What has not changed is that whites generally resent organized efforts by African Americans to raise grievances that seeks change. Last year, a poll found that 63% of whites disapproved of the NFL players kneeling during the anthem, compared to 17% of blacks. The Black Lives Matter movement is also unpopular among whites. Only 35% hold a positive view of it. According to a recent uh, Harvard poll, compared to 83% of blacks, the negative opinions uh, could be attributed to the noisy, disruptive marches the group has held or the occasional outbreaks of violence that have resulted. The uh, the killing of five Dallas police officers now a couple of years ago uh, demonstrates also Uh, that same premise. But if you don't like the Black Lives Matters movement, the the agenda that it pursues, you should welcome this article reads as the uh, the NFL players approach. It's silent, it's not disruptive, and it's entirely nonviolent. It doesn't block traffic, uh, occupy police, or frighten bystanders. Critics say it's disrespectful to the flag, but no flags are harmed. And it cannot be taken as a form of, and it could be taken as a form of respect for the flag to mutely signal that your belief that the ideals it represents are not being realized. There's more to the article. But the interesting thing is, I have had conversations with many conservative evangelicals 
over this issue who have told me that that is disrespecting the flag, uh, the flag because the, the American flag represents America, which is a Christian nation. So if you kneel at the flag, you are kneeling or you are assaulting my Christianity. My problem with that statement is there's nothing in the Bible that talks about the flag of America being Christian. There's nothing in the Bible at all that speaks to America. We have this problem at times when we equate our cultural loves and appreciations, when we equate those things to Christianity. Again, whenever my culture comes over and against justice, whenever my culture comes over and against the word of God, I am to lay down the culture and take up the cross. I am not one who's going to wrap the, 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 uh, the Bible and the American flag because the Bible stands alone. My kingdom, my citizenship is of another kingdom anyway. And the reality of it is that as long as I am a good heavenly citizen, I'm a good citizen no matter what country I live in. Now, let me tell you, I, I, I was born and raised right in Dallas, Texas. There's no other place I want to live in terms of countries of, you know, of the world. I think that America provides me the best uh, way of living that one can have. And I appreciate that. But I do not equate America with Christianity. There was one lady who told me that America, being a Christian nation, was the world's last hope. I said, no, Christ is. We have to stop conflating the two. America is not Christian. It is not a Christian nation. There's nothing in the scriptures that I can find that supports that. What I do find is that God is at work in and through the church. And it is the church, not America, that is the agency that God uses to advance his kingdom agenda. And so for us, part of that work is recognizing that we have to be committed to justice. We have to be committed to the Imago Dei, the image of God. The word of God promotes justice. It promotes liberty. As a matter of fact, in Exodus chapter 14, Moses says, as they are about to depart from Egypt and they are up at the Red Sea, he tells them to stand back and look at the salvation or the deliverance of the Lord. God was not just working in a spiritual way only, salvation also impacts the society. It impacts the social. He delivered them socially from the bondage and the oppression of the Egyptians. As he allowed them, I like what that, you know, the, the, the song that was just saying, you know, he's, he's keeping the waters of the sea divided to protect you. And that's what he did for the nation of Israel at that point. But it is this idea of justice that the church has to be committed to. It is this idea of, of the freedom that salvation and the word of God brings and the imago Dei, the image of God has to be protected. And so the church, yes, we give the tithe, but let us not neglect the weightier things of the law, the text says, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. May God bless you and keep you.